Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the show that tells the stories of diverse leaders who found belonging in our industry, so you can too. I'm Nicole Kasperson. In today's episode, I'm interviewing Jean Smart. She's the founder and CEO of Penelope, a retirement savings platform for small businesses and entrepreneurs. As a child growing up in LA, Jean watched her immigrant parents work tirelessly to provide for her family and employees. They were owners of grocery stores and restaurants, and Jean's parents valued education and hard work. And while they took care of everyone around them, they didn't formally invest in their own retirement, leaving them vulnerable in their later years. Jean's parents are the cautionary tale of coming to America and wanting to live the American dream, but no one being there to help educate and guide them. With that in mind, Jean decided to start Penelope, which is a 401k platform focused on micro and small businesses. She started Penelope, which is named after her daughter, after a career on Wall Street in traditional financial services. And I'm so excited for you to hear Jean's tips for building a professional community and the opportunity to create fintech ecosystems around SMBs. Enjoy. Your background is a huge influence on your career and why you chose to be a part of the fintech industry, why you chose to start Penelope. And I know a lot of that starts with your growing up in LA, watching your immigrant parents from Korea work tirelessly to provide their SMB owners. Tell us a little bit about that background. So first of all, Nicole, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure and honor to be with like-minded people and um, to have an opportunity to talk to your membership group or listeners. So yeah, I I don't know if my story is that different from a lot of immigrants, but I'll tell you what it was like um, to grow up in a Korean household coming from uh, Korea. I think my parents had these grand illusions of um, this great American dream, uh, which in great, great part, they've actually fulfilled through their children and through their work. But um, it was hard not knowing the language, uh, putting us in school, having to work a lot. When we were growing up, I spent a big chunk of their time at their restaurants or their dry cleaning stores and their grocery stores sort of playing. We didn't have nannies or babysitters. So we just sort of grew up in that space. So I saw how that they work. So I think the work ethic was really big, but I think privately, while they always had a smile on their face, it was sort of, they didn't want us to live like that. They wanted us to have sort of stable corporate jobs, be professionals. So Dr. Lawyer. In school. Yeah, none of this is surprising <laughs> probably for not just Asian immigrant families, but maybe a lot of other immigrants. So we did that, went to good schools, worked in finance. Um, so I don't know if I looked for fintech or finance. I don't even know if it was called that. I was looking for a job at a big staple company to sort of make my parents happy. And that was the beginning. It's different now. Uh, But that was certainly the beginning. But you also watch them not fully have, no one comes to America and just is like handed a finance education. (laughs) People born in America aren't handed a finance education. So you also kind of that that's really like such a fundamental part, right? Of yeah, yeah. where you are today is like you watch them work so hard because, and that's the idea, right? Like I have an immigrant parent. The entire notion is like, 
we will work so hard so that you have the best of everything. Exactly. Never have to have this life. And it's like, okay, so now I have the pressures of fulfilling that and like blah, blah, blah. But um, <laughs> you watch yeah. them like have their own struggles with money. And that even at a young age, you don't even realize it all the time, but it makes a difference. Yes, it does. I think for them, their retirement plan was their children. Maybe it was culturally what they thought of. Um, I certainly know they didn't have an awareness of 401k plans, retirement plans, or even the stock market. I didn't grow up reading the Wall Street Journal. I wasn't aware of it. Um, it wasn't until my first job out of college where my boss said, open a 401k. I'm like, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I, I started then a couple decades later, that's grown to a really nice savings pool, enough for me to take this risk and leave corporate America and Wall Street and just start this company. But I agree when immigrants come, like many, they stay within their cohorts, within their groups, they start businesses and working hard is, should just translate to success. But understanding um, capital markets, how stocks and bonds work, savings, tax deferred opportunities, and really the power of compounded interest. I mean, just that alone is tremendous. And I think right now in our time in history, where there are a lot of state mandates uh, requiring companies state by state, whether you have five employees, 25 employees, to have a qualified retirement plan is just injecting a lot of energy for small businesses to start doing this. So I think back, if my parents started saving 3000 a year from 1976 to now, what that would be like. It would give them so much more psychological support and comfort. I'm I, In many ways, these state mandates, I'm really hopeful, will help not just small businesses like my parents, the mom and pops, but startups for any company just starting out that the best time to save is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. The third best time is tomorrow. And there is no fourth. So getting started is really important. I think your generation, millennials, Gen Z, are more knowledgeable and more aware of this than certainly mine or even the generation before, which is great. When we first met, you had said that you worked at a number of financial institutions, Wall Street institutions, and you knew what's under the covers and it's broken. There's a huge opportunity and it's now. Uh, now is the time. And you said that with such conviction and like so much. <laughs> yeah, you were like, we're going to get, we're doing it now. And I, and I loved that. I, I think that's this kind of passion and drive it takes to, to do, you know, when you're, you're not just changing a system, you're building a new one and that's hard. But could you elaborate on, on that sentiment and how it kind of led you to create Penelope? Yeah. So for most of my career in Wall Street, in many respects, it supported my, I've been able to survive, support myself, help my parents and help my family. So a lot of good learnings. But in the 401k space, it's pretty antiquated. Uh, for a very long time, it, it's a product borne by Congress. It's heavily regulated. ERISA attorneys um, do really well in this space. It's hard to decipher. The jargon is pretty intense. And it's pretty manual. A lot of the old systems with incumbents are still end-of-life phase. You hear about a couple of companies investing and just revamping to the cloud. There are a couple more modern uh, 401k providers and platforms um, that are out there, which is great, which is a great boon for all of us. It gives us hope and there's a lot of opportunity. But I think the challenge overall has been there are a lot of intermediaries. There are a lot of hidden fees. 
for both the employer and the employee. Assets under management fees at the employee base, those small six, eight, 12 bits can translate to hundreds of thousands of dollars coming out of paychecks down the road. So knowing this, the reason why I think it's the right time, it's technology. It's not just fintech, but it's a retirement reg tech. It's silver tech. It's generational wealth building tech. There's a whole sort of swarm of new generation just wanting this tool, regulations that are coming. So it's this perfect nexus of even just open source apps, dev tools. It's just a really exciting time to be in this space and start helping people. And you're talking about so much more than just building a product, right, for SMBs. When you say that, you're talking about there's an ecosystem of opportunity of generational wealth building of yeah. all these different aspects, right? Like, and I imagine in like simple terms, right? That's how if someone, you know, say a, a mom and dad start their own business and they want to be able to make sure it's financially stable enough to pass down to the next generation and so forth and things like that. So yeah, there's a whole ecosystem around that, which is which is really cool. And I mean, could you take us back to the moment that you felt like fintech would be the place where you would find your sense of belonging and maybe how creating Penelope and feel free to elaborate on, on Penelope and what it does, how that helped you find that belonging. Happy to. Um, I had been itching probably to do something for a long time. So even right before COVID, the Christmas in 2019, I'd spoken to my husband about, I think I want to try something. I've been doing this for a long time. I really do. So that spring break, I remember in March um, in 2020, my husband was taking my daughter to visit my in-laws. They were skiing for a week, and I had planned to bring a couple friends to the apartment um, to brainstorm around what this could be. And then COVID, you you know, kind of what happened. So everything I paid for. So I knew I wanted to do something using my expertise in wealth management in the retirement space, financial wellness space, and doing something in fintech. It just didn't crystallize yet. Mm-hmm. So now we're in COVID. We're in California. My parents are there. Um, they weren't well. So we actually flew and we spent the first year of COVID there and started thinking. And um, a lot of contextual things happened, whether it was just George Floyd, AAPI, the economic divide, or just the gap. That was that really hit home. Uh, it wasn't completely unfamiliar to a root my parents could have gone to if our tro- their children weren't stable. So there were a lot of emotions and thinking around this. And coupled with that, small businesses, sort of the lifeblood of America failing and going through so much trouble. And these mom and pops we talk about, if they didn't have a website before, if they weren't using Square or technology, they certainly had to now. So government was coming in to provide some aid for these businesses and so the idea of it crystallizing on just not just a small business solution, but a micro plan solution, something for companies below 100, sweet spot is under 50. That's when it really started catching momentum for me. And that's, that's why I left last year to start Penelope. Penelope is the name of my daughter. 
um, and sort of That's a awesome. lot of different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she um, she's really excited about this and wants to know if she can be in a commercial. But um, <laughs> the, the, the is the answer yes? Can she? She can do anything. She can absolutely do talk. Um, she probably knows more of these tools, and she's learning to code at school. She's oh, ten, but this is kids today. And it was really born out of the idea of humanizing what retirement could be, 401k, and reducing the dragging and taking all this sort of antiquated knowledge of the way it's presented and sold and delivered and trying to create something that's has no bells and whistles, really simple, easy to understand and adopt for anyone. I love kind of a lot of the context, I feel like, that you're going to help actually provide because, and I think that's a huge theme of what's happening in fintech right now is this move from, all right, let's stop just being like providers who jump in and are like, yeah, we got a product and we fix your problem with our solution and we're going to jump in and just do it and put out your fire. No big deal. And instead switching to more of this like almost cultural shift of like, nope, I actually, as like a small business owner, I want to work with a human. I want to work with someone who doesn't just make me feel like a number. I want to, you know, have a, a provider, say a fintech provider, come in and, and help me with a more holistic approach than having like these disparate systems that just put out fires as problems come. Oh, I need this. So I'm going to hire a fintech provider for that or this or that, right? Kind of back to that ecosystem thought of like creating. Absolutely. And with a startup, we always want to focus on our core product, which is that retirement solution. So we we are definitely talking to other partners in this ecosystem that could provide college education or mm-hmm. retirement planning because we're providing the core elements of the platform, but not necessarily giving advice. We're making it really turnkey. And so I think there's a lot available. A lot of times people, when the market goes south, they want to borrow from their 401k, or maybe they younger people may want to take it for a trip to Europe. We're saying, no, the tax, the tax um, ramifications are really high. So we're not going to necessarily build out a whole credit system or other lending programs, but there are a lot of tech platforms that are trying to enable consumers that are less predatory, that are much more modern, that sort of really are adjacent to some of the needs of people putting a little bit of their paycheck every every two weeks away. So we're talking to them. And for what we're doing is around context, we're trying to reduce a lot of the jargon. So even words like safe harbor, contribution, distribution, deferral rates, the more they don't have to Google these terms and the more we could just put it there is what we're trying to do. So in the small disclosure font, we could put the appropriate technology terms or uh, the RISA terms. And certainly our lawyers are checking that, but we're really trying to reduce the friction mm-hmm. by speaking to just people, regular yeah. people. And I do right. think about my parents or my friends in the back of my head all the time when we're presenting and doing demos and um, in the public. I mean, that's a great piece of advice. And what you're doing is really amazing, kind of thinking back to like the cultural perseverance of what small to medium-sized businesses mean for certain cities, even, you know, living in, I stuck it out. I lived in New York throughout the whole pandemic, um, which I will wear with pride. Good for you. I know, I, I wear that. I, 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 never, I couldn't do it. That's so great. Good for you. <laughs> I know, right? That's like a badge of honor. I'll tell my It is. It is. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. But um, 
yeah, you, but you, you know, there, there have been times when like I've gone to my, I've like traveled to go to my favorite sushi place that's been open for like 20 years and it's around and it's like the closest thing to Japanese sushi I've ever had or like, and moments like that are really sad. So it's really beautiful what you're doing. The, was there anyone in particular who kind of helped you feel like you belonged in this career trajectory or like belonged in the industry of, of fintech? Do you feel like you kind of belong in fintech? You know what I mean? Because you recently made the transition. Yeah, I did. Um, so I would say two things. One was a mentor of mine, a former boss at uh, both Schwab. He brought me to TD. He was the first one that didn't look at my age. I was in my early 30s. I was director at a fairly large firm. And he put me in charge of the offer development product team. He recruited me to my next firm here in New York, which brought me out to New York. And I, he didn't look at my age, my gender, my race. Or he just thought, she's got something. Um, she has a lot of passion, a lot of energy. I'm going to give her opportunities. So that helped me sort of stay in financial services. And then more recently, I was one of the early founding members of Chief. And I was in a cohort. It's a, for those who don't know Chief, it's a women's networking association of very senior leaders, um, their professional development. But some of the beauty of it, the jewel is these core groups that you're in. And this one, my very first core group of very senior women, many of whom I'm friends with today, and one is a unicorn founder today. Um, she's Australian. They really encourage me. And they, they, it just like all hands, super supportive, positive. And so, you know, all those little self doubts that you can have. And I had quite a bit, you know, is this too late or can I do this by myself? How do, how do you do this? And they encouraged me the entire time. And I've, uh, I'm in a different core group right now, but that organization has opened doors and made intros and provided been like my texting, like background cheerleader. For three and a half, four years. Amazing. Yeah. So this this isn't your parents, your aunts and uncles, or your best friends from college. These are new professionals I just met that just automatically, instinctively knew what I was trying to do and just push me and, and really encourage me. That sense of community is huge. Um, it is. It is. Yeah. yeah. And it sometimes takes like I like how you mentioned, like, this isn't your aunt or uncle, your mom or dad or friend. You're <laughs> right. supposed to love you. They- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And I, I mean, and trust me, like, I'm, my immigrant mom's not a tough critic, but still, like, it isn't the same as opposed to, like, getting that sense of, like, community and push and drive from other folks in the industry that are just doing similar things or, you know, working on different things, but in a similar way or, you know, whatever it is. So is that an organization that, like, anyone can join? I think there's an application process and I'm a little bit less familiar with it. There's a referral process for sure. Um, I know it's grown quite a bit. It's national now. So it's not just exclusive to certain key cities. So I think there's an opportunity to apply and, and I'm sure they go through a pretty vetted approach. And so many more organizations. There's the We Suite, Luminary. I know Wing was around, and um, even the Riveter. I, I think all of these organizations are really great uh, for women, and I hope they all succeed. There's a unique niche and sort of approach to each one of them, and um, I think that speaks really well for women founders, women business entrepreneurs. 
in a way that we can all support each other. Yeah, I love that because I asked because it's a lot of my audience too. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Some of the best pieces of feedback I get are from, you know, women founders, and they come from a lot of walks of life. And sometimes they're early stage, sometimes they're late stage. Like, it's it's actually really interesting, the the audience here. So, yes, I wanted to ask because I'm sure listeners would be really interested in joining some of these groups and and having that that opportunity and, and, you know, having a place... It is wild sometimes, I think maybe, I guess sometimes like your your pride or whatever it is can stop you from like just reaching out a little bit of a hand and saying, you know what, I do need a community or I need help or I need someone to kind of help pull me up a little bit because we all do and no one can do this by ourselves. You can't, you can't, I mean, just do it, raise your hand, don't be afraid. If for anybody reach out to me in LinkedIn, I will do anything I can. Um, So knowing what I know, if I was 30, what would I want to do? What would I have been afraid of? And what should I do? Just do it. Just do it. People want to be helpful. People want to try. Now, it's it's still two years into COVID. You might not get the response in a nanosecond, but I think people are genuinely wanting to help women and help their younger selves at, at different stages. So what have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? Exactly. I mean, even someone as like, for me as like a founder of like a content platform and brand, it's, I felt the empathy. I felt the folks wanting to help up- uplift me and what I'm doing. And I do think that there's like more room for that, or I guess more openness to that. Whereas maybe before everyone was like stuck in hustle, hustle culture and was like, not as people weren't thinking, I feel like of others as much, but you know, COVID was supposed to be at the beginning, it was like talks around it being the great equalizer, but really it showed the divide more than ever. It's interesting because everyone got tribal. You went back into your groups, your communities, etc. I mean, for me, it was a blessing because I really reconnected with my API community, with whether it was people at work um, at the time or through other business and professional networks. Uh, women's groups, minority groups, that was hugely, it it made me feel safe. It made me feel open. And that was great. Even um, the past couple of months when we've come out of stealth and been more public, the number of people that have reached out to me just by sheer representation, there aren't a lot of young Asian women are working in large organizations, large companies, they're rising, they're getting to the top. They're not always at the tippy tippy top and there are fewer probably Asian women in politics, but I'm a huge extrovert, but I'm super private. So I'm not a big social media person, but I've, I've sort of had to be to promote this. And for, I got to be honest with you, it's really scary. It, it's just not my nature to just be this public or not that I'm public, but being out there. But You're public I, now. <laughs> I, I'm doing it because of the emails I get. Yeah. Young people, yeah. I swear, just in the chief community and through LinkedIn, just to see some representation, I may stumble up and I may trip, but I'm still doing it. So I think to see those flaws and attempts and just an effort to try, I hope if I can do it, seriously, all of you guys can do it. And I would encourage every person, if at all possible, I know you've got to do the math at home, start something on your own. Just try it, do it. You will learn things about yourself that you you just can't imagine. Um, so I'm a big supporter of that. You did it. 
You know? <laughs> I, would you ever look back? I mean, they no. always work out, but even the failures and just the yeah. ridiculous, awkward things are, are a huge learning experiences. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, and Ryan, will you learn the most from the failures or the, the more, more like, like little mishaps? I like to, <laughs> uh, wrinkles, I, I, I guess. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've learned a ton. You will, and it's not even just about the wrinkle. It's about how you react to it. And that for me has been such a huge piece because I've learned how to, how do you react to something, kind of put it in a jar, have it with you. <laughs> All right, I did this and I made a mistake. And then, but it's cool when you can kind of just like take it, own it, and then release it. And it's like, it's a part of you and you learn something from it, but it doesn't need to come with you. Yeah. Journey, yeah. Which is- Totally, totally. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Don't beat yourself up um, because that that can get habitual and it's it's a little bit stressful. But there's two things I think about with that because it's easy to dwell and get into a spiral. And and you, this is a couple of different mechanisms. So somebody told me about a year ago when you found a company when you're in corporate America or large institutions you have your highs and lows, but when you're at a startup the highs are really high. And the lows are really low. And that was all of a sudden that locked into me. Oh, so that's what the norm is. So as soon as you normalize that sort of volatility, you when it happens again, you know that, oh, that's what it's supposed to be like. So you make that thing that feels hard, like, oh, it's a thing. And the other thing that I actually talk to my husband about whenever it's really hard, just imagine you're flipping a burger. You're just flipping over, flipping over. Think of it as a transaction. You're brushing your teeth, you're pitching, you're selling, you're going out there, you're doing an interview, whatever it is. It's just a thing you're doing. You're flipping a burger. And so it sort of takes the weight off and finding your voice, you just have to go through these different components and it's not going to be perfect all the time, but we're, we're all works of progress. So those are a couple of sort of habits or ways of just changing perspective that have helped over the last year. It's fun because I was going to ask you one piece of advice, but I love that we've just given like an entire slew. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So naturally, it's okay. It's because all of the wisdom that we have occurred, even just from like, even after just a short amount of time, like I've only been doing this for like maybe I'm approaching six months, but it's really like closer. Really? Which is crazy. Yeah. Which is crazy. Oh my goodness. Um, Good for you. Which like, and I mean, same to you, right? Like, it's like, you really haven't been, I mean, yours is like a little bit longer, but you know what I mean? Like it hasn't, it really hasn't been that long. And so, but it's crazy. Like in the five to six months or like in your case, right? Like a year, year and a half or so, right? Like you can, you learn like more than you ever would at maybe like those big institutions or at like more traditional roles or whatever, yeah, yeah. Um, which is wild. So I guess like maybe one of my uh, last few questions for you is if we need to be, and I feel like we've kind of talked a lot about ways that you can kind of embody change, but if we want to be like that change that we wish to see in the world, what change do you want to see in FinTech and how do you embody it? You know, in the next three years, I want to help hundreds of thousands of very small businesses and a million people who've never owned a stock or a bond um, have money and, and get involved in this 
inclusive capital or participate in the capital market space. I've just seen it, what it's done for my family for investing for 20 plus years, just a little bit at a time, just a little bit and not thinking about it. And the reason why is, you know, much to everyone's dismay, this wealth is not just, it's not just luck. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't happen because you struck it rich founding a company or you're in crypto. It happens over a generation. It really does. So for many people who work 30 or 40 years, and our product is really for Americans who make less than 100K, who are working um, 30 to 100K, working every day. And if you put one basis point away over 30, 40 years, there's a sizable amount. So you'll be able to pass that generational wealth to your children. And they've got different outcomes. So I know a lot of the young generation, they want everything now, right away. And, And this is one of those things It does take time, but we want to reduce the friction and the impact and the sense of hardship so it's automated and simple and easy to digest so you're not thinking about it. And it's a way to pay for yourself. It's your own social security money. So what I want to see, FinTech, it's always inclusive capital. People who haven't participated before just get more involved, more confident. And I think about just at the end of the day, reducing human suffering. You know, you you can just, it's financial, it's psychological, it's emotional. Money's emotional. You know, your business is is emotional. It's hard. I get it. I absolutely get it. But you put in a couple of good practices and then you can check that off and move on to the next thing. Exactly. Oh my gosh. So much wisdom and so true and great pieces of advice. Who is one person in fintech that you think we should follow or who is positively shaping the future of the industry? So there are a lot of folks. And when I started my list, they were all men. Um, I thought about this. And, um, and that's okay. But I, I want to I highlight a couple of women. And there, there are people that I follow a little bit on um, Twitter, but I just read about every once in a while. But um, Anne Bowden um, is the founder, the British woman, founder of Starling Bank, um, the Neo Bank. Um, it's just grown like rapidly. There's a whole host of reasons. Um, she's authentic. She's herself. And she will say she was just starting out a little bit later in her life. And, and it's grown to this tremendous company. And then another person that I've been following, I met with her about a year ago, very briefly, but um, Seema Amble from Anderson, she's mm. a partner there. I met with her once. She reached out to me on LinkedIn and basically just uh, wanting to know a little bit about Penelope. Uh, they didn't invest, but my small time with her, I felt like she's a person of the future. She's looking at inclusive capital. She's looking at a couple of different opportunities. Um, and she says really smart things about the industry in FinTech. Um, so I like her. And then there are probably dozens of other people that I read about. And then there are more women in FinTech now. I would say over the last six months, I've connected with maybe 50% of them because there aren't that many of us, but they right. we find each other and they've been huge groups of support in terms of finding vendors, giving you the lowdown on um, capital raises, um, how to amplify and grow the network and how to help each other. So we're partnering up. There's so many of us out there are growing, which is great. 
Yeah. Oh, I love it. And I love that you pivoted, right? You like were able to create a list and you're like, um, this is cool and fine. <laughs> like, I, but like, I really just want to, and I mean, that's the kind of intention it takes. Right. And, and that's, and it's fine to have, you know, like we all have like male mentors and we, sh- we I mean, which is great, but they, great. they yeah. are written about quite a bit. Um, so I just wanted to amplify a couple of other folks that are, I love it. No, that's great. Yeah, that is exactly right. No, I love it. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Jean, this has been such an amazing conversation. My final question for you, will you just tell us what we can expect from you and Penelope next? Growth, 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 growth. Um, since coming out of stealth, uh, we've been in beta for just a couple of months, huge warm reception by uh, companies. And we're seeing we're seeing some industry uh, in a couple of industries that are really standing out that are understanding this or that resonate with our message. So we're about doubling down on a lot of those inorganic and marketing efforts and um, just growth. Again, we want to help hundreds of thousands of companies and millions of employees getting started. It's a like big ambitious goal for the next three years. So we're ready to go. I'm bullish on it and to the moon, you know, I I think that this is just getting started and I'm so excited for your adventure. I'm so excited for your journey and thank you so much for doing all that you do and for joining the show. This has been amazing. Thank you, Jean Smart. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message to reach more people who want to find belonging too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our show and give it five stars as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too. Until next time.